Hello, everyone. This is uh, Luke Thomas. This is the Monday Morning Analyst for, I think, what is it today? Monday? What day is it today? I don't even know. It's like June 8th, June 7th, something like that. Um, today on the podcast, we'll talk about the technical action from UFC Fight Night 68, Dan Henderson versus Tim Boach, a little bit from um, World Series of Fighting 21, I believe, and then we'll get to Glory 22, just the main event between Rico Verhoeven and Benjamin Adegbui. Um as you know, 30 minutes on the clock. Let's pull that up now, and then we will go. Uh, that's about it. It's only 30 minutes in, in length. So three parts to the podcast, uh, big picture, technical action, and then what's ahead. Ready? Here we go. Okay, we're on the clock. Um, big picture for this one. Uh, how thrilling was that event on Saturday? Huh? Pretty great. Look, great for lots of reasons, partly because the fighters brought it that night. Partly it's just sometimes these events have momentum where – People just start to bring it. It sort of carries over on itself. Um, those are things that you obviously don't want to take away from the fighters. But there's two things I really want to point to that made the event what it was. Number one, the smaller cage. We've talked about it before. Um, there's evidence. There's actual data. Ari Kuhn has put it together that when you have the smaller cage, it forces action. And uh, it's important to note that. And I really, truly believe, I'm not saying that those fights wouldn't have gone necessarily the same, but it's just hard to say that they would have, everything would have, the magic would have all been there in a bigger cage. I just don't buy that. I think you really needed that extra element, that extra push um, to bring out that kind of action. If your defense isn't up to par, you just don't have as many escape routes in that shorter octagon. You really have to learn how to use that space. And when you have the bigger ones, you can see guys have so much room to move around. I firmly believe that's a reason why some of the guys coming over from Pride didn't do as well. When you have right angles in a ring, it's just so easy to trap people. And that's why you get guys, you know, in boxing, for example, like Aris Lani Lara, who are really good at escaping those corners ducking under punches and using their lateral foot, footwork to get out. But um, in the octagon, you, you know, you have more open spacing. You might hear my dog barking. You have more open spacing, but it's still more a function of, um, you know, that, that, that octagon, you can still cut angles that way. But when you have it narrowed down like that, when the, when the, when the central diameter each way is shrunken, when the floor space has been cut out, um, it's just guys have to be in their faces a little bit more. It gets a little bit more going. And, you know, I think part of the reason why WEC was is so romanticized is for that reason. They use a similar size cage, if not identically sized cage. So that's the first thing I'd point to. The second thing I'd point to, which we've talked about any number of different times on this broadcast, the pacing. How good was that pacing? Huh? It was like everything we've been asking for all this time. They had a couple of moments there where they throw it to the studio. They had a couple of moments there where they would set up video montages. It went a little bit longer, but it was 12.08 p.m. East Coast time, and they were setting up the main event. Normally, they're not setting up that time for another hour. Now, the question is why they did that. I don't know. There was a very astute uh, – somebody got at me on Twitter saying their guess was because it was such a strong sports day – Women's World Cup. By the way, Fox has the rights to the Women's World Cup. They want to air that. There was the Triple Crown. Um, there was a, a, a NHL Finals, so or Stanley Cup Finals. So there was a lot of different reasons. Oh, there was Champions League Finals, which Fox also has the rights footage to. And is, is, you know, I mean, all the other ones can use highlight reels. But you understand, like the Women's World Cup and Champions League are part of that Fox Sports broadcast uh, home. And so they had a lot of incentive to want to get to those highlights. So I, I can believe that. That seems to be a rather intelligent point. All I'm saying is. Between the smaller cage, um, producing those great results, and then the broadcast 
you know, having just a pace, it made things so much more enjoyable, so much easier to take, just perfect, just perfect. So if anyone from Fox Sports 1 is watching this and UFC on the production side, thank you. Thank you for doing that. It just made everything so much better. Sometimes I go into these broadcasts when I have desk duty and I'm dreading it, not because I don't think the fights are going to be good, but because when the fights are on, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly okay. And then there's just these huge long breaks in between. They're just, you know, the information so perfunctory and worn over. Not this time, man. Really not this time. They had a nice, brisk pace to it. It was just so fun. That's all I'm really asking. It was just so fun. Um, so whoever made that decision and the Fox Sports side or the UFC side to make, you know, make that broadcast go at the pace that it's supposed to go, I cannot thank you enough. Okay. So with that out of the way, uh, let's get to the technical action from the weekend, shall we? Um, UFC Fight Night 68. Let me pull up my notes here real quick. Like um, UFC Fight Night 68 took place at the Smoothie King Center. That's quite the name. In La- New Orleans, Louisiana, one of the great places in the whole world. I truly believe that. The attendance was 6,231 for a reported gate of 621,523. A pretty good gate uh, given the attendance there. It was headlined, of course, by Dan Henderson uh, versus Tim Boach, a middleweight fight. Um, Henderson defeated Boach via KO at 28 seconds into the first round. So not a lot to get to on this one if we're just sort of being honest about it. Um, here's how this would go. They came out, Boach just sort of showing side-to-side motion a little bit, a little bit of footwork. Um, he was circling away from the power hand of, of Dan Henderson. I went back and watched just to make sure. Um, and then was throwing punches side to side as he was then trying to back up Henderson. Bad move, man. Real bad move. So he throws a right and an, I believe a knee at one moment, um, but it doesn't land very well. Then throws, excuse me, throws a left as he's circling out, throws a right to move forward, then throws another left, which misses. And if you go back and watch the broadcast, you can see the whole time, I should say the right hand, you see the right hand right here as Dan Henderson's looking at him. Um, Boach throws the left, overcommits on it because it misses. Henderson takes just a slight step to the outside and then pops him with this monster, monster right hand that almost buckles him. Henderson, or uh, I shouldn't say almost buckles him, it buckles him. Uh, Henderson throws a follow-up knee, then throws a series of rights, one of which was an uppercut that dropped him again. And then followed him up from there. Um, he was, you know, one thing should be noted about Henderson is his dirty boxing. It all comes from one side, but he throws the the right hand with such speed and diversity. So he's throwing a shot over the top. He's moving and throwing it straight on. He's moving it. He might throw in a left occasionally, but then he'll come with an uppercut. So the right is coming at all these different, same side, but different speeds in different in different places. And eventually just caught Tim Boach. And he was already hurt at that point anyway. Uh, and then closed the show. So like Boach basically... Like, what really got me was Boach didn't throw any kicks to the same side as the right arm. He did circle away for a little bit until he charged. When he charged, he kind of charged straight in. Um, you know, he didn't get Dan to commit first and then counter Dan. He didn't get Dan to throw a punch and then duck up under it. I mean, he likes a lot of his takedowns from the clinch, too. You know, he likes working with underhooks and overhooks. Okay, fine. But nevertheless, that was just seemed to me really, really, I don't know. I understand wanting to get right down to business. I understand wanting to back Dan up. But Dan, as I think Dominic Cruz noted, is Dan's able to reset the angle when you're backing up, if your pressure isn't really getting him to cover up, and it wasn't, he, this was here, this was here, and he just uncorked that joker and, and let him go. So, um, great win for Dan Henderson. 
in the co-main event. Uh, ben Rothwell defeated Matt Mitrion via submission. They called it a front choke at 154 of the first round. So I went back and watched that fight probably 50 times, man, just to figure out what exactly what happened there. Um, they exchanged a few different punches on the feet. I'm not interested in that. So basically the ending sequence is that Mitrion shoots in but doesn't really wrap the legs to like pull uh, Rothwell off of his base. And he it was kind of like a blast double straight back. Doubles are supposed to be in on a shot, and then you cut the angle over it. He didn't do that. He kind of like went in on it and never got his hands wrapped around the back of Rothwell's legs. So what does Rothwell do? Rothwell has the wizard. Wizard is an overhook of an underhook. And then wizards out hard, right? I think it was on his left side, yeah. So he wizards out super hard. So then he gets, you know, if he comes at you and you wizard, you get parallel. Um, gets parallel with him. Then tries to, But at that point, he's on his feet. And now Mitrion's on his knees. Man, that's a bad move, man. That's a real bad place to be, especially when you're a heavyweight like Ben Rothwell. So Rothwell does – he called it a go-go choke, not a go-go plata. That's different. He called it a go-go choke. Um, some people called it a front choke, maybe. Going back and watching it, it looked to me like a 10-finger guillotine. And if it wasn't a 10-finger – that's what I initially thought it was, and then I said, no, nah, maybe not. But then I went back, you go back and watch, look at my Twitter feed. I initially called it a 10-finger ten ten guillotine. Then I went back and changed it and said, well, not, not a 10-finger guillotine. Then I went back and watched it more times. I'm pretty sure it was a 10-finger guillotine. Now, he may have had a fist balled up, which changes the equation a little bit. I couldn't quite tell. But even if it wasn't a 10-finger guillotine, it looked a lot like one, which is basically this. Like, Let me see myself here so I can make sure you're explaining it right. Lots of guillotines I mentioned before. You're kind of here, and you're wrapping the blade of your hand. Elbows are back, and you're kind of walking your body up but you want your chest on top of them. Remember, if you're if you're down here, you're yanking up, it's not going to work. You want to be all the way at 90 degrees when you pull this thing up. So that way, when you yank on it, you're already in position so you don't make it a huge arm crank. It's more of a put them where your control them with your body and give it just the appropriate amount of squeezing. That's sort of how it works, right? 10-figure guillotine is different. Your elbows are in super tight and your hand kind of cups under their chin like this, right? I'm showing you on camera here. Cups under your chin like this. Uh, fingers extended and joined thumb along the hand. So their chin is here, right in front of you. And then you take your other hand and you sort of just wrap the knuckles a little bit. But see how my elbow's wide? You come and you close the elbows. So now what I'm doing is I'm going to, like I'm doing this number, I'm going to chop inwards, like the, the, the reverse of a tomahawk chop, elbows inside, touching my ribs, bringing it in. And then what you want is to the extent possible, although Rothwell didn't quite have it this way, although it didn't end up mattering, you want to have it as close to possible in the center of your chest. And what you're going to do is you're going to bring your chest down and over them while you bring up your hands, covering your knuckles. That's what you're doing. You can, you can, you can wrap a little harder almost on the blade there, and you can come up. But it's that's that's a 10-finger guillotine, and it's horrible because it's not a blood choke. Like Some of these guillotines are like super hard blood chokes. Like that one, um, you know how Pat Curran does that arm and guillotine on the same side? So, like, he'll have arm here and head here on the same side. That's a blood choke because one end's closing off the one end and one end's closing off the other end. Um, North-south choke, that is a that is a blood choke. This is an air choke. It's closing the windpipe, which is why you see these, like, immediate taps, man, because you, your throat is so closed, unless you've been putting that thing a thousand times, and maybe Mitrione has, but who knows what happened there. You just, you're not mentally prepared for it. Like, a blood choke, you've, the, the vast majority of chokes are blood chokes. Um, so anyway, I don't know if he had his hand balled up here and he was wrapping it this way. He, he, he looked, it looked like from the body positioning and the mechanics of it, it looked like a 
10 finger guillotine. There might have been variations underneath, but just for the purposes of explanation, that's a 10 finger guillotine. Um, I don't like 10 finger guillotines. I'm not particularly good at them, but I do find people turtling a lot. When people turtle in front of me like that, I like to just go to the back. But uh, but th there you go. That's a 10 finger guillotine. All right. So then we had Poirier Medeiros. Uh, Poirier Medeiros. Dustin Poirier defeated Yancey Medeiros. This is a catchweight fight. Um, and it the show was closed at 2.38 of the first round. Um, from They called it body kicks and punches. I guess that's correct. This was a weird one. So there's a couple things to sort of point out in this fight, too. Um, Poirier looked amazing, by the way. Poor Medeiros just never really had a chance to get in. Although he did a couple things pretty well, which I'll point out here. So the first sequence is Poirier is standing opposite stance. He then switches to uh, left-handed stance, right? So now they're on the same side. He ducks. Now you see on that same side that he ducks, Medeiros reads it and brings his hand up to block it. Um, and then tries to catch him with his own left hook, can't do it. Poirier responds with his own left hook, it's already blocked, and then Medeiros leans back to, to, to avoid it. So what, is, what does Poirier do? He keeps moving forward, changes back to the normal side he had. Okay, let me get my notes here. Uh, but now Medeiros is much more upright and backing up. Now, Poirier changes sides, faints, Medeiros throws the exact same left hook, misses again, except this time, while he's still Medeiros is still blocking the same side, Poirier has switched sides and then just hits him with an uncontested right that absolutely floors him. So you see Medeiros basically just doing the same thing, blocking up here, Poirier's coming up here, he Medeiros leans back, Poirier misses, he comes back over, Poirier then switches stance, but Medeiros goes back to the same punch after he bites on the feint, Bang. It's an it's a uncontested right hand and falls over from there. Now, he manages to hang on, but um, anyway, so eventually he gets back to the, he, he hangs on, they scramble, body lock takedown, uh, 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 Pori had double underhooks as they turn, trips, falls over, uh, gets his back, has a body triangle. So how do you break a body triangle? Well, they're hard to break, but the first thing you have to do is whatever side the foot over the waist is going, so the one that sticks out. Um, that's the side you need to get down on the ground. And Medeiros did actually a really good job here. He hand fought until he was able to get his shoulders to the mat. So when someone takes your back like that, even if they don't have the, even if they don't have the, the body triangle, I'm just saying if they have it, you got to go to that side. That's the side you break it on. But even if they don't, the more important thing is you got to get on top of them. You got to put your weight on them. You got to be really good about hand fighting, but you got to get your shoulders to the mat. You have to actually scoot up and pass them. And once you get your shoulders to the mat, they may, you have to watch out because they may mount you. But he saw that coming, too, had a nice forearm to brace across the elbow. Poirier didn't even want to try to mount. He, he, he had lost the race at that point, basically, and they decided to disengage. So good job by Yancey Medeiros getting his shoulder blades to the mat. Once he got his shoulder blades to the mat, he's able to then roll over. Um, and how did it end? So it ends again. What does Medeiros do? He goes back, he bites on a feint, throws the left hook. This time, though, instead of the right coming over the top, um, Poirier pops him with the left. And then what was funny was they separate, and I don't, I can't remember if he threw a feint at this time, but it didn't matter. Poirier throws a body kick. And you go back and watch the tape, Medeiros puts his hands here, comes right up under, tags him. Medeiros must have thought that a, that a head kick was coming, uh, eats it clean, and then from there just gets bombed on, and then the fight stopped from there. So great job by Dustin Poirier. Just the diversity of strikes, just the accuracy, the deadliness of them. Like it's not just that when he lands on you, it, it you know it hurts. He lands on you and he alters your consciousness like over and over and over again. So he's really sort of 
he needs a, he needs a tougher opponent. I mean, Medeiros is a tough guy, but I mean, a really super credentialed guy, a lightweight at this point. Uh, and then the fight of the card, if you're asking me, man, Brian Ortega defeating Tiago Tavares, um, and the fight officially ended via TKO and punches at 4:10 of the third round. This is like on the front burner for me for um, fight of the year, you know. And everyone likes, oh, I like wild brawls as fight of the year. Wild brawls are cool, man. They really are. And this one had some sloppiness too. Don't misunderstand me. But there was so much high-level technique in this one, man. Tiago Tavares is a tough guy who is very skilled and is just short on a few things that make him get hurt way more than he like deserves to be. In other words, if you just sort of added up his skills, and he's a really, really talented guy, but he's just a little bit short in a couple of places, and it winds up costing him really badly over and over and over again, even though he has a lot of good wins too. So first of all, let's talk about the elbows underneath from Brian Ortega. Brian Ortega was able to get, first of all, go back and watch this fight. Brian Ortega's hips are barely, barely ever on the ground. They are constantly elevated. He is on his shoulders the whole time. Why is that important? Number one, he's already got long legs. But if your hips are off the ground, the first thing you can do is you can move a lot easier. You see guys in sport jiu-jitsu invert. Well, they're able to invert because they're not rolling across their backs. They're on their shoulders. You can roll on your shoulders pretty easily, especially if you're using a leg to like help you spin. So there's just less friction on the ground. That's the first thing you want to notice. Brian Ortega is constantly on his shoulders. Almost at no point is he on his, his just flat of his back. An incredible, incredible just commitment to attacking with his guard. Love, love seeing stuff like that, number one. Number two, um, because he was able to do that, he had a lot of submission opportunities, which we'll talk about, but he also was able to go side to side. He would lean one side. He would get Tiago Tavares to base into him, and then he would come back over with the elbow. And those things were landing, dude. You saw Tavares' face. Those didn't come from out. Those came from underneath. He was bombing on him, bombing on him from underneath. Fantastic job by Brian Ortega. Okay, let's just get that out of the – I just want to point out, if you watch that fight again, just get a stopwatch and watch how much his hips are off the ground versus on the ground. Once they're on the ground, you will be amazed at the differential. Okay, that's the first thing. So how did he get all those arm bars? You saw him frame for it all the time because you're like, Tiago Tavares, this is a credential black belt. Why is he getting caught? And I mean, he didn't get arm barred, but he was getting caught in the position a lot. So what he was doing was um, he was trying to control from behind the head of Brian Ortega the whole time. You saw him, in fact, go for a couple of can openers, right? So when he goes behind that head, that's all you need. When you have a gi, you can grab the sleeve and you can pull your hips over and move it over. And then you can come behind the tricep and you can lock it down on your hips. And then you can put the foot in the hip and you can come over around and squeeze behind the front of the face with your leg. And then you can get the arm bar. Remember, you're, at that point, you're sliding on your shoulders, not your back. So you can move a lot easier underneath. Um, and, and that's how you would do it. And that's how I like to do it in a gi. I get sleep, I get, I get wrist control over sleeve control, bang. And then I go around for it. He doesn't, he does in the no gi. It's much harder to do because guys can slip out, but if they're going to grip around the back of your head, they're giving it to you. They're giving it to you. Now, Tiago Tavares is probably willing to put himself in some more precarious positions because of his submission defense. You saw him escape a lot of triangle attempts because he just knows the perfect time to get out of that. This is what I mean when I say Tiago Tavares, man. Like it, Brian Ortega would have caught some lesser guys with some of those armbar to triangle transitions. But that's one thing I want to notice. So how did he get that sweep off the armbar? This, to me, was genius. It was genius. What happens? Tavares goes behind the head. So what does Ortega do? Whips around and secures the armbar frame. Okay, how does 
Tavares defend? Rear naked choke grip. So if this person has my arm, what am I going to do? I'm going to grab my own bicep, uh, and this hand can go a variety of different places depending on how you time it. But this is what he's. This is what Tavares did to block it. So it's really hard to break this grip, man. If someone's got, if someone gets this, and especially if you're inverted, it's hard to do. Now, if you're Ronda Rousey, Liz Carmouche type situation where someone tries this, there's things you can do because they're flat on their back on the on the mat. But he was not. He was actually on top. This was so this was from the guard of Ortega. So what does what does Ortega do? Okay, he keeps the one side of the armbar attempt in place. But with his free hand, okay, with his free hand on the side, if this is the side of the body that Tavares is doing this, what has Tavares done? He has removed his ability to post on his hand, right? Because your hand is now here. You need, you need this to block it, to block the, this arm from being armbarred. That's what you need. So he's taken away his own posting hand. On top of that, if you go back and watch, he's trying to frame out of it a little bit. So what does he do? He lifts his base up. He just gave Brian Ortega the two things you need to secure virtually any sweep in jiu-jitsu or reversal. You have to lift someone off of their base, and you have to block the side you're going to turn them to. There you go. Up on his base. No posting hand here because he's blocked here. So Ortega looks like he's inverting for the arm bar, and instead what he does is he hooks the far side leg and then rolls across his own shoulders in like a grand B-roll position. And because Tavares has no more posting hand, he goes ass over tea kettle. Fantastic. Fantastic. If Tavares was able to get his arm out, he could have posted it with the other arm. But he committed. Rear naked choke grip. I'm not letting go of this arm. So Ortega said, okay, fine. I'm going to turn you to that side because you've taken away your own posting hand. And, oh, by the way, thanks for lifting your base up. Brilliant. Brilliant by Brian Ortega. That is that is super awesome stuff. That's like him and Cole Miller have the most fun guards like that. I mean, uh, Carlos Condon has a very active guard too, but he doesn't have quite the polish on it that those guys do. Um, so that was fun. Um, so there was one point where Ortega gets, let's see, let's see. Um, so I forgot how he got there, but Ortega's in mount. And Tavares tries to get out. So what does Tavares do? Um, Tavares gets to his base. He has one hand over the back slash sort of waist of Ortega and the other hand on the ground as he's getting up and trying to stand. Ortega reads it. And Ryan Hall, by the way, is the king of this. Like, I, I don't know what he calls it, but I've heard it called the hanging triangle. So you just, you're waiting for them to post. And you're, what you're going to wait for is that leg to swing around. But what happened was, or, uh, Tavares is able to get to his base and get his hand inside before Ortega could all the way swing around. So that was kind of interesting. Um, but uh, good presence of mind by Brian Ortega there anyway. Let's see. Um, oh, and then last thing, a nice Uchimata from Tavares in the first round. Tavares had a body lock, but he couldn't quite get around. Or excuse me, Ortega had a body lock, but he couldn't quite get to the back because barely, just barely, Tavares had stuck in that wizard. And so what does he do? Wizard, leg in between his legs, Uchimata ends up on top. Round two. Um, it was kind of fun when Ortega faded back, faded back, and then went for the spinning back elbow. It was blocked, but that was kind of fun. Um, oh, Ortega escaping mount by going to heel hook. You see a lot of Henzo's guys do this, man. 
A lot of the guys out of the Henzo Gracie Academy in New York City do this. So what happens is they get stuck in mount. What do they do? First thing they do is they bridge to get you to buck to put your hands on the mat. Then they put their hands, both of their hands, inside your armpits as they kind of slowly shuck their hips up to get the legs in front of you. So it's get you to plant your hands, boom. Then come their hands inside your armpits. They push uh, and then get their legs in front. From that point, Tavares actually kind of assisted him a little bit because he realized he was losing the position and stood up. As he stands, he goes for what looks kind of like a single leg X guard kind of thing, but uh, ends up being a heel hook. But you notice it doesn't work. Why? Because partly for a heel hook to work, you have it's not just that you're off balancing them, but you have to control the hip and the knee. Um, and it has to be turned in a certain way. What you see Tavares doing two hands on the top side leg of Ortega pushes it down. So there's no control over Tavares's hips. He stopped the top leg from doing that, spins counterclockwise, and then gets on top. So great job by Tiago Tavares to avoid that as well. And then the last, last round, incredible Superman punch from Brian Ortega against the fence, backs up, fires it, a left straight dislodges the mouthpiece. And then at one point, um, it was a bit of just luck by Ortega, but they both exchange left hooks, and Ortega eats it, but so does Tavares. And that's what Tavares got wobbly, and that, because I think Ortega's landed a little bit cleaner. He had a little bit more snap on his punches anyway. Um, but they exchanged left hooks, and that's sort of what set up the beginning of the end. But great, great job by Brian Ortega, man. And Tavares, too, you know. He didn't go, he didn't go very quietly, did he? Um, okay, then you have, let's see. Anthony Burchak defeating Joe Soto via KO, 137 of the first round. I feel so bad for Joe Soto. Um, let's see. Uh, you see him do a couple things. He cups the chin to go for uh, a guillotine a la Charles Oliveira. Nick Lentz, Joe Soto pulls out of it. He eats a knee and then a same side right. You see Joe Soto bring the opposite side hand up. I think he thought he was going to eat a knee on one side and then the other guy come to the other side with a punch. He stayed on, Burchak stayed on the same side, caught him with it, dropped him. And then from there, he just sort of, oh, there was a moment there where, um, you can hear Barbas. There's a moment there where Soto is trying to get a knee bar. Doesn't work, partly because Burchak is already perpendicular. And then when when Soto tries to, like, get, the hip, get his hand, again, not his hand, tries to get his foot on the hip, his outside foot, on the outside hip, he can't because Burchak is blocking it. Burchak writes himself almost back into danger in terms of the angle, but he was moving away while he did it and then steps out. So that was a good job by Burchak. And it looked like to me like a couple shots got through, but a bunch of them were blocked when Burchak was unloading against the fence, but one kind of clipped sort of behind the back of the head, and that was all she wrote. I feel bad for him, but, but uh, you know, it's a tough game you're in. And then the last fight on the main card, Francisco Rivera defeated Alex uh, Caceres, Caceres. At 21 seconds of the first round, this was a weird fight because Rivera threw the same punching combo twice, and first time it almost landed, second time it fully landed, and that was what closed the show. Um, Caceres comes out exchanging with him. Let me look at my notes here. Uh, he waited for Caceres to throw the left straight first. Rivera missed with the right, but the left hand came around the corner for the second one. So you see him throw basically a one-two. First one misses as Caceres backs up, but then the left, boom, crushes him. Uh, Caceres was kind of fading to his right uh, when Rivera's left clipped him, so he was actually moving into it, which made it hurt a little bit worse. Um, and if you look at the footwork, there's a moment there where Caceres had the – they were standing opposite stances. Caceres had the footwork to throw the left straight down, 
but instead threw the right, which allowed eventually Rivera to throw his one and then his two. So that, that kind of sucked for him. Uh, then we move to the prelim card. I don't know how much time we have left. Not a lot. We go to the prelim card. Uh, Sean Jordan defeated Derek Lewis via hook kick at 48 seconds of the second round. Um, I would love to tell you all about the hook kick. It's not something I know a lot about. I mean, I can spot one like you guys can. And it's amazing that Sean Jordan threw it. But I, I suspect Jack Slack will break that down better than I will. So I'll leave that to him. Uh, Omari Akhmedov defeated Brian Ebersol. What are you going to say about this? Ada putting weight on the, the lead leg and ate a leg kick, and that was all she wrote. Brian Eversole had a hell of a career. First time he ever got TKO'd, by the way. And even then, he didn't get, like, stop-stopped. He finished the round. Um, but um, anyway, uh, Chris Wade defeated Christos Giagos 29-28, 29-28, 30-27. A couple things to note about in this one that I wanted to get to. Only was the whole thing. But um, the duck under. So Giagos, or whatever his name is, Giagos, Giagos throws a jab. Wade ducks under opposite side, hooks the far side leg, and then the near side leg as he turns into the back of Giagos. Giagos rolls. Wade tries to get a cradle in, in the leg. Couldn't quite wrap the head properly as Giagos goes one side, then the other, a la Jose Aldo, to get out. You know, Remember, you create space and momentum, and you can make things happen. You can't rock wildly. You have to kind of know what you're doing, but... Um, Giagos did in that particular case. But it was just cool to see him. He didn't duck under the same side punch. He ducked under the opposite side of the punch and then came around the back corner and then eventually hooked the chin and the cradle. That was kind of cool. Um, oh, so there was a moment there where they were against the fence. He had already lost an underhook on one side, so he has an overhook. And then he lost the underhook on this side. So Giagos had double underhooks. So what does he do? He says, F it. Wraps one overhook and then wraps the head. Uchi, or, uh, Horai Goshi. Good job from Chris Wade there. So I wanted to point that out. And then lastly, from that portion of the prelim card, Joe Proctor defeated Justin Edwards via guillotine choke at 458 of the third round. Incredible. Uh, not much to talk about this one except for the finish. Justin Edwards had actually gone inside on the on his head for many of the um, takedowns and gone outside a couple times too. He was changing it up depending on his takedowns. But just sort of pointing out he wasn't going over and over again. But he actually got caught looking on his feet a little bit got snapped down into a guillotine and the way he finished it was he had it no arm in i think standard just blade of the hand coming up put your body on top lean in and sort of walk him in he actually tried a standing guillotine uh, at first instead of just jumping to guillotine which he had done previously and it didn't work um so what happens is just edwards kind of falls to his right a little or falls to his left a little bit and tries to get to his base there's the 30 minutes Proctor is able to then go from here to he tries to like do what's called a power guillotine where a power guillotine is like a rear naked choke grip. So it's like a horrible place to be if you get caught in a power guillotine. Can't quite get it. So he comes up like this and makes a fist and Proctor takes the other hand and just, I mean, ball and socket joint tries to wrench it up. Um, and you may say, well, this isn't if this is all you're doing. This is easy thing to hand fight, which you're right. It is. But remember, he'd already been teed off on. He was tired. Sometimes when you get caught in those, um, you don't know how to hand fight because the the severity of the choke is upon you before you've had a moment. to like. Sometimes you're like, okay, I'm going to risk getting in a triangle here because I want to work a certain pass or something like that. Or you know a guy has a good triangle, and you may have to get in certain kind of positions if you like stack passing, and you're like, this may be coming. So you know if the guy starts framing or you feel it, there's just certain things you can do. But if you get bang, 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 whoop, 
you know, caught in one, it's just, you're just, you're, you're playing catch up at that point. It's not, not so easy to do. And you don't have the frame of mind to, to be there. And so what happens? Um, he, yeah, he gets here, uh, trying to finish, trying to finish, slides it over till he gets a fist on the outside of the neck and he's driving that joker, driving that joker until eventually he sits back on it. And then Edwards is, is out by that point. But I mean, Edwards was doing no hand fighting here. So sometimes you see these chokes, man, and they, you know, you see um, um, Andre Galval had one on Big Mac years ago where it was like a, it was a cross collar choke, but it was a weird variety that takes a second to like sink in. Um, and then, you know, you see the ones like Ben Rothwell put someone in, like look, to me, it looked like the 10 finger guillotine. And, uh, and then, you know, it's like that. It just all depends on how you're manipulating someone. Uh, lastly for that card, Jake Collier defeated uh, Ricardo Abreu via split decision. 29-28, 29-28, And then Jose Quinones defeated Leonardo Morales uh, at 231 of the first round. Morales has no business fighting in the UFC. Um, I'm sure he's a nice kid, but uh, people were like, you know, hey, this, this, I was kind of bagging on the card. Now, the card ended up being good, but and the card ended up being great. But people, just because someone gets submitted or knocked out does not mean you saw high-level action. You see people get knocked out and submitted all the time. And just because they're wearing UFC gloves on it, unfortunately, I have to say, that does not mean they're high level. Frankly, neither of those guys deserve to be in the UFC if you're just talking about straight ability. But I can see why Quinones, as the as the, uh, the Mexican national, has some appeal for them. But Morales is just, I mean, we're talking fundam- basic fundamentals. He just doesn't have. Uh, okay, real quickly. Uh, Blagoy Ivanov. Uh, when the when the World Series of Fighting Heavyweight Championship at World Series of Fighting 21, how did he do it? Same thing. Ten-finger guillotine. Caught the chin with his right hand on this one. I think Rothwell caught the chin with his left. Um, uh, Ivanov catches it with his right, and then you see him, same thing, covers the knuckles, and then does, does this, just brings it up uh, into his chest. St- he stands on it. And Rama, Smilinho, Rama has just no chance, no choice but to tap. So you had two heavyweight. Again, maybe there's some discrepancy with Rothwell. But at least the mechanics of it, two heavyweight, ten-finger guillotines. Good job by Smilinho, Rama. And so you see, you're, I think you're going to see a lot more guys get to that. You get this to this position where two guys are scrambling and one's going to be on top of the other. And for, especially for heavyweights, heavyweights are not going to want to go and take the back. They're going to want to be in side control. They're going to want to be a mount. They're going to want to guillotine you. That's what they're going to be. So you might see more of these, you know, as guys sort of work these positions better because um, you don't want them to scramble and get away. You want, to, you want to sort of keep them there if possible. And even if they get out of that guillotine, they might have to turn, you know, they might have to go belly up to, to, to avoid it. So uh, good job by him. And then I'm trying to think about how Lance Palmer won. Uh, oh, Lance Palmer getting a, a crank basically. Uh, takes the back of Chris Hordesky has the inside forearm controlled on the left side, is banging him out with the right, but eventually lets that go, sneaks the right in, but it wasn't under the chin. It was, like, right on top. But when you see a guy get choked and he's turning all the way this way, like Demi and Maya had on Rick's story, that is just so unbearably painful. And especially if you get, like, a Hulk and He-Man that Lance Palmer is for that weight class. Dude looks like he's chiseled out of stone. So I'm sure he, when he pulls on your neck, you feel it. Um, so good job by Lance Palmer as well. Last but not least, uh, I had a lot of hope for Benjamin Adegbui, and I still do. I think he's got a lot of promise. He was not able to defeat Rico Verhoeven at Glory 22 on Friday, but he looked good early. He had a piston-like jab. Um, overhand punches looked great, but you notice what was happening was 
the jab was key for him. It was critical for him. The overhand punches were working too, but the jab was really important. Uh, he was like popping Rico's head back. He was moving Rico with his power. Rico was not moving him, at least in that first round. I actually gave the first round to Adek Bowie. But in the second round, man, you just saw like the experience of Rico really take over. Two things to note. One, he essentially realized he couldn't outbox Adek Bowie. Now, he might have been able to land an overhand punch of his own occasionally if he could time the jab or slip it, but he was having problems slipping the jab. It was coming right through the guard. So what he decided to do was he was going to just beat up and essentially use an uh, uh, inside leg kick or an outside cut kick to just basically break down the lead leg of Adek Bowie in the first round. And he was able to begin to time it to like essentially, even if the punch was going to land, like you saw the if you saw the jab coming, boom, he threw it. Jab coming, boom, he threw it. And so he was constantly off balancing him in that second round. By the third round, you saw him not just doing that, so opening up, off balancing him. He was beginning to cause him pain. So now Adek Bowie can't really like put weight on it. So that was problematic. And then the third and the fourth round, what you saw was now he's backing up Adek Bowie. Now he's going inside leg kick. Adegbu is covering up now other side cut kick bang 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 over and over from Rico Verhoeven in the fourth round especially he what he was doing was he would he would step to the side of the punch throw his own punches just to get Adegbu to raise his guard like you could tell they're just one two three four five six just to get his hands to come up and then he was slamming outside leg kick home I mean brutally or he would slam one and then slam the other or he would do a bit of body work and then in the fifth round. Uh, Rico Verhoeven, same kind of thing, except he kind of gets his hands. Uh, this is the Nicky Holtzkin. You just sort of go pop, 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 and then you slam a, a, a like an overhand home. He did the same kind of thing. It's it's you're just sort of extending it to get him to cover, and instead of going to the legs where Adigbu was expecting it and still pretty beat up, he was driving uppercuts up that were landing, bringing his head up, boom, kind of coming over with a left hook. So like he was just meticulously and thoroughly, thoroughly breaking him down, taking away like for a guy like Adigbu who throws leg kicks and throws body kicks and throws head kicks, but really sort of fundamentally a, uh, a boxer in kickboxer. He really relies on his hands because his jab is so good. His, his power is so good. Um, if you can take away the, the base, the power structure there, he just becomes a much more manageable task. So really, really thorough job by Rico Verhoeven. Good job breaking him down. Um, I was very impressive. So this weekend, what do we have? UFC 189, right? Or 188? I don't even know. 188. Uh, Fabricio Verdum taking on Kane Velasquez for the undisputed heavyweight title. We're also got people aren't even talking about this. Gilbert Melendez is going to fight Eddie Alvarez. Did y'all know that? Some people don't even know that. So that's kind of crazy too. Um, I'm not sure what else this week is happening. I don't think a whole lot else, especially not in the grappling world. There was a grappler's quest this weekend. Joao Miao won. Uh, Eddie Cummins won his weight class. Gary Tonnen won his weight class. One of Gary Tonnen's protégés at 185 won his weight class, all by submission. Do you believe that? Um, I don't think Miao won all by submission. But anyway, I'll put as many of these videos as I can in the post. I'll put the Lance Palmer finish. I'll put the Blagoy Ivanov finish. I'll put a Joao Miao match in there. Oh, um, I don't have any of the glory photo fights, but uh, I was I made a brief cameo in the Eris Lenny Laura, Dovin Rodriguez promo video on Spike. I'll put that in there. They fight this on the 12th on Friday night uh, on Spike. So you've got UFC 188 on Saturday. You've got um, uh, Lara versus Rodriguez. you got a lot of good stuff coming your way. All right, I have to go. You all have been patient and good. Until next time, thank you for watching. Facebook.com slash Luke T Sports. And um, 
uh, at SBN Luke Thomas, Luke Thomas at SBNation.com. Enjoy the fights. <laughs>